0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: All right, welcome in the Believe in Patriots podcast episode number five. Something that I never do is start the podcast with an interview, but this is a guest that warrants starting the podcast with an interview. So it's the radio voice of the Patriots. He's called 3 Pats Super Bowl championships and a loss that we don't like to talk about. It's Bob Sosi. Bob, how are you?
0: I'm good, Brady. It's good to be with you. It was an exciting game. Unfortunately, it was a difficult outcome to digest, especially given the circumstances with Malcolm Butler on the sideline. And I'm grateful that we won't be talking about (laughs) Super Bowl 52 today.
1: Well, you were worried that this interview was on video because you're like, I'm not that dressed up for it. Bob, do you realize that since being laid off from my radio job, I'm in a closet with a dollar store tablecloth behind me and my Julian Edelman Kent State t-shirt jersey. So I think you're perfectly good. Now, I, you
0: know, you're in style right now. The golden <laughs> flash is right there, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. The circumstances, uh, that we're talking with you, as you just said, uh, being laid off, uh, you've got a tremendous, uh, uh, amount of talent. I've really enjoyed our conversations on the radio. It's been a pleasure to be with you on a weekly basis during the football season. So I'm excited about today. I'm looking forward to this, and then bigger and better things.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's funny because, and I'm sure you have this, this also. You develop these professional relationships with people, and they turn out to be great professional relationships. And but you've never actually met, so it's nice <laughs> to actually see you and allow you to see me. So we haven't. I mean, I already knew what you looked like, but now you know what I look like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think also one of the things about our profession, especially as you can relate to different people's experiences too, uh, I, you know, I, I've i been in, in, in every kind of situation uh, in the business, whether it was having a position cut. Uh, in fact, uh, with the minor league baseball team, I was with a, a class A team in suburban Washington, the Frederick Keys. Wow. And the ownership out of Philadelphia, Comcast Spectacor dropped radio altogether. And it was, you know, the end of the road for me in one sense, but eventually it led to a triple A job and a big jump in baseball. And that eventually led to other opportunities that helped me get to this point where I am as the Patriots broadcaster, you know, now looking forward to my eighth season. Uh, So one of the the things about our business is we come across people that have similar experiences for better or or for worse at the time. And I think that, uh, you know, it's always uh, for me anyway, uh, very important to share those experiences, but also take from the experiences of others and what they've been through and and, and what they've done in their careers. And uh, you're right. You know, it's it is amazing. great to talk to you.
1: Your, your story is amazing to me in that you've broadcasted a lot and you worked at Navy and you've done minor league baseball and you're with the Patriot League it still feels like that's a big jump from doing Patriot League games to all of a sudden the New England Patriots. How did you get to where you are? Because I feel like you cut out some middle step that people might have usually had to take. Am I wrong in that?
0: Yeah, you know, usually you establish yourself uh, in in a marketplace and you're known, whether it's you know in a a different kind of role on a broadcast, a pregame host. Or, you know, a talk show host or someone who does play by play in that market, maybe calling the college team nearby. And then you make the jump to the NFL team. In my case, there were probably two or three people outside of my in-laws and my wife who knew who I was (laughs) (laughs) in, in the Boston area. Luckily for me, you know, a couple of them were in the broadcasting profession, at least play-by-play brethren, who through the years helped me improve my craft by critiquing my tapes. But I was a nobody. Nobody here knew who I was, uh, you know, for for all intents and purposes. When I got the opportunity to start calling the Patriots games, I had called Navy football for 16 years. And there were some things that I really seized on during that experience to try to relate to the NFL experience, the Army-Navy game, a game of great magnitude, Navy-Notre Dame, you know, a a, a game that, uh, you know, had a a, a tremendous uh, history and tradition behind it. And when Navy beat Notre Dame in 2007 in triple overtime, winning against the Irish for the first time in 43 years, you know, I always looked at that moment as a highlight that would probably be, you know, uh, unrivaled in my career. And, you know, I would eventually call Super Bowls, which were kind of on the same the same uh, level when it comes to you know what it meant to the fans of the, that respective team, Navy, and the fans of the Patriots and what it meant on a national stage, of course. Uh, but it was a big jump in some respects. But Brady, I, th- I think that you know more importantly, through all those experiences, calling minor league baseball at the Class A level, eventually getting up to A, doing mid-major college basketball, doing the Navy game, sometimes in NFL stadiums when Navy played Notre Dame yeah. or Navy played Army, when other times doing it in, you know, makeshift press facilities or so it seemed, you know, in places like North Texas State or uh, some of the other places Navy might have played uh, during my tenure, you're still calling play by play. It's, it's yep. still the craft. You're still doing what you've always dreamt of doing. And and uh, the important nuts and bolts that you have to take care of in every broadcast are the same, whether you're broadcasting in some cases, to an audience of one or two. And, and, I, and I found that was probably the case <laughs> in a couple of my minor league baseball stops or broadcasting to hundreds of thousands of people who were listening on an NFL Sunday on the Patriots radio network.
1: You know, I spent one year in sports information working at Norwich University, which is a senior military college, the oldest in the country. And it totally was different from my college experience. It was just to be there one year was like completely eye-opening to me. What was it like for you to just be around Navy? Because I have to imagine that's an incredibly different experience and then one that ultimately is pretty special.
0: Yeah, it's so special and it's hard to uh, articulate uh, other than, you know, rely on a lot of the cliches that you hear every year when Army-Navy is staged and and, and sports writers pay tribute or uh, on television, uh, there's an essay that's produced. It's really a pool of Uh, Many of our best and brightest young people that are competing uh, for the, the service academies, they have a higher calling. They're giving five years at least of commitment to the military, knowing that they may have to pay the ultimate sacrifice upon graduation. Uh, they're, they're doing it in, in in the case of my tenure at the Naval Academy, mostly in a time of two wars. I started calling yeah. Navy basketball as a fill-in in 1996, 97, and became a part of the football broadcast in 97, of course, four years before 9-11. Well, you know, during this period of time from September of 2001 and, and until my last broadcast with the. Uh, for the Navy football team uh, in December of 2012, I mean, every young man who committed to, to that program, for example, knew he was doing it with the risk of of serving in in, in warfare. Uh, of course, there's always that assumed possibility, but in this case, it was tangible. You could it was on the nightly news and in the newspaper yeah. day after day after day. And that these kids committed to that, and uh, you know, I found that being around those people and finding like so many things about them so fascinating it was really personally rewarding beyond the broadcast itself and i was lucky navy turned things around when i started calling the games navy was pretty good and then went through a terrible stretch Uh, the mids lost 30 of 33 games uh, from i think 2000 uh, from 1999 through 2001 and you know it was miserable the plane rides were silent these young players that uh, you know are, are smaller than everybody else they're playing against, except for the other service academies, you know, going pound for pound, uh, outmanned against Notre Dame and getting beat week after week after week, and and doing it because you know they really love the game, but also they're developing this this patriotism, this love of country, and they were there for a much greater purpose. You know that was hard to see and hard to hard hard to uh, you know to, to process calling their games. I mean, I still was so proud at the time, but then after Paul Johnson became the head coach and eventually Kenny Montalolo Navy built this yeah. strong football program, you know, really a, a terrific program through the years and started beating the bigger schools, the FBS schools and going to bowl games. And that was really gratifying on every level because the broadcast felt that much more important from a football standpoint. They're always super important because I knew that you know, graduates of the academy spread around the world. were listening and, they were people who themselves had gone through, and in many cases, were listening on the internet while they were in harm's way. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, there, there were different dimensions to it, and I was fortunate to really get the best of, of, of all of those worlds, where you know I, I was able to take pride in just having some association and telling the stories of these incredible young people. I wish so many of them would have run for higher office upon graduation and, and serving their military commitment. We'd, we'd be a much better place. <laughs> uh, and and uh, you know, then beyond that. Uh, not to get too political, yeah. know, there was, there was the, the success on the football field. So, you know, you were going to bigger games and to bowl games and and, and really feeling you know, a lot of pride associated with that. Uh, but there's nothing like the Army-Navy game. Uh, the experience of, of being in the stadium uh, is something that I think every sports fan, anyone who really appreciates the history of this country and what it's taken to preserve you know the best of 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 our ideals are you know at least uh, prescribed ideals you know should experience that game from start to finish it's electric you have the midshipmen and the cadets the stadium is split in half between army fans and navy fans you know these guys are bitter rivals uh, from day one at the naval academy it's yes, sir, no, sir, beat army, sir, mm. vice versa at West Point. You know, everything is about beat Navy. It's ingrained in you from day one. Uh, these kids go through, and I say kids, they're young men and women. Uh, and, uh, you know, they they go through six weeks of plebe summer in Annapolis and beast barracks at West Point, which is, you know, really a, probably the ultimate trying experience for any any young teenager coming out of high school to endure And more or less breaking them down to build them up as future military officers. And, you know, they go through that. They sacrifice so much. And then they play this game that's the pinnacle of their careers. Few are ever going to have a chance to play in the NFL. Uh, That's not why they're there. So it's their last football game. They love the the game as much as any of their other uh, counterparts around college football. And they're trying to beat each other's brains out for three hours in December. They play the game. And then when it's over, they stand side by side for the alma maters. Yeah. And you know they're on the same team and you know that team is going to go into circumstances possibly that are far graver uh, than the outcome of a football game. They're going to be teammates in the Navy, in the Marine Corps, in the case of the midshipmen, and of course the Army, in the case of the, the Black Knights.
1: So you get to the Patriots 2013, I think you said this gonna be your eighth season. You took over for Gil Santos, who I never had the chance really to hear just beyond highlights. And I didn't live in the area, but I heard so much adulation about him. I think he had the job nearly 40 years. So we spent all this time talking about how someone's going to replace Tom Brady. What Was it nerve-wracking for you to come and fill Gil Santos's shoes that first season?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And especially, as I said you know, earlier, as someone who was re- relatively unknown here. And you know, my my path to the to the job was circuitous when it, when you look at my career as a broadcaster but even in the Boston marketplace I moved here while calling Navy my wife right. is from the area and she was offered an opportunity really a dream job for her in 2008 so we got married in Boston in 2008 and and we were here to stay and I was commuting back and forth wow. while knocking on doors and in the fall of 2009 shortly after the Sports Hub launched I had an opportunity to have an audience with the program director, Mike Thomas, and his assistant program director, Rick Radzik. Yep. All I wanted, Brady, was a chance to do headlines, You know, a chance to yep. be on their list of, of fill-ins, part-time work. I would have swept the station, anything to get my foot in the door. <laughs> I always had wanted to work in Boston or New York, and this was a chance to come here and knock on doors, and that's what I did, and few were answered. Only one was opened, and that was the one in 985 of the sports hub. I sat down for about a half hour with Mike Thomas and Rick Radzik. And, you know, he, Mike asked me, What do you want to do here? What do you see for yourself? And, and I really didn't have a good answer because I thought, Who am I to come in here and say I should do sports talk radio in Boston? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I left a CD with some samples of my play by play work. You know, I, I handled myself well enough that they probably thought, Okay, we don't have a role for him. There's nothing this guy can do for us, but he's a nice guy. Well, Rick Radzik, fortunately, Listen to that CD. And a few years later, when Gil Santos, who was the voice of the Patriots for 36 years, a legend in these parts, a member of the Patriots Hall of Fame, as I'm sure a good uh, portion of the audience knows, he, he announced his retirement. And I got an email out of the blue from the Sports Hub asking to hear more of my work, because from that meeting three years earlier, Uh, Rick Radzik listened to that CD and liked the football play enough that he recommended me as a candidate for the job. And so I was hired. And so it was nerve wracking. One of the things that helped to alleviate the nervousness was a relationship. And I say relationship, at least some correspondence with Gil. During that period of time, when I was trying to get my foot on the door here locally, I was also continuing to do what I had always done as a broadcaster. I saw advice and constructive criticism from the people who, did it the best or people who were where I wanted to be. So I would listen to Gil and Gino on Sundays and I would listen to Gil's morning sports reports on WBZ AM locally. And I reached out to him, asked him to listen to a CD and he offered his criticism of some, some, some various points that he had, but he also had a lot of compliments and encouragement. And that gave me a lot of confidence and then when I was hired for the, for the, uh, for the job eventually to, to succeed Gil, not replace him, but succeed him, uh, he gave me a great piece of advice. He said, you know, there are going to be people who don't like the way you do this because it's not the way I did. But always remember, there will be people who like the way you do it because it's not the way I did it. <laughs> so just be yourself, have fun, uh, be yourself and tell Zolak to shut up. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what Gil, Gil's advice was at the time. Well, and, I, want, uh, I wanted to he, ask
1: you about yeah. Zoe because he's a character. And um, I'll be honest, when I first listened to Zoe, I was like, oh, my God, stop screaming over Bob. But <laughs> you guys have developed such a good chemistry. And now I like Zoe's and I like Zo's energy. I like what he brings. He's incredibly smart at dissecting things. How, how, what's the process like of you guys working together? Because you know he's going to jump over you but you don't seem bothered by it. You seem to 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 just find a way to interweave it in. I, and I think that's special. Yeah. You know, Brady, it's,
0: it's funny. Cause I think you kind of, you kind of become oblivious to it. Often. I don't even hear what Zoe says with the, the, the emotional reactions that I think draw the biggest response from the listenership until I hear the highlights, yeah. know, the show ponies, the unicorns, where's the beef. For example, in 2013, <laughs> it was our sixth or seventh game together, or maybe it was the fifth game together uh, when the Patriots came back and beat the saints on the touchdown pass from Tom Brady to Ken Brell Tompkins and I'm calling play by play and I'm just trying to concentrate on not screwing up the play itself. And it's funny, I've had this conversation with a good friend in the business and my colleague and counterpart from Cincinnati, Dan Hoare, because he works with Dave Lapham and their broadcast is very similar. Dan calls the play and and in mid sentence, Dave is, you know, hooting and hollering (laughs) in the background and in, in, in breaking in uh, to react emotionally uh, very similarly to Zoe. And 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 Dan said the same thing. You know, we agree that you know you're almost oblivious to it. It's just, you just call the play, and you you're 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 just steamrolling straight ahead, trying to get to a point where you can smoothly now get out of Zo's way and let him analyze what just happened. And he does that extremely well. He's emotional. He's passionate. I think the fans appreciate that for the most part. He loves the Patriots. He's been a part of the Patriots organization, but he's also someone who will criticize the Pats. Yep. He will dissect what he sees extremely well like a quarterback should he'll anticipate the way Tony Romo does for example and gets a lot of credit for on the national broadcasts Scott has been doing that for some time so I think it it just it just works for us we're different personalities I think that's a benefit for us I think it's helped me gain some acceptance with fans too following Gil to your earlier question because our broadcast is so different than what people heard with Gil and Gino on the call had I been you know, uh, someone who tried to sound like Gil Santos with his voice, working alongside someone who was more of a a straight uh, p- color analyst rather than someone who has those persona, which really is built through his talk show on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people probably would have listened to us and looked at us and said, "By what a poor imitation of Gil and Gino! These guys, hmm. a couple of clowns." Now they may still say we're a couple of clowns, <laughs> but at least it sounds different enough that I think that helped gain us some acceptance with an audience. It was a the, great broadcast.
1: What's the process like for you in terms of getting ready for the broadcast? When does it start? If the game's on Sunday, at one are you starting that Monday morning? Do you start it on Wednesday? Are you trying to memorize every player on the opposition? What's your process like?
0: You know, it, it really starts when one game ends. You go into mm. the post-game press conferences. You hear from Bill Belichick. In the past, of course, it would be Tom Brady and Devin McCourty and, and some of the other notables. And if time allowed, go into the locker room and and eavesdrop on some of the Q's and A's between the media and the locker room and the players there. And you get the box score of the game summary and, and you highlight it and take notes of what just happened. You kind of recreate the game and the broadcast in your mind. At least that's the way I do it. And if it's a one o'clock game, if we're at Gillette, you know, by the time I get home at night and have dinner and sit down, and Saturday night football is getting ready to get started. I get the laptop out. And I'm half paying attention to the game on the screen and and half looking at uh, the the computer. Certainly during the commercial breaks, trying to read some of the game summaries from elsewhere in the league, particularly with regards to the Patriots' next opponent, and uh, just trying to get a feel for what you know what what's what's the story this weekend in the NFL? What's going on in the league? What happened today? Uh, you know what's going on in this this particular game? Watch some of the highlights, and then the, you know then the next morning it really begins in earnest. Try to collect as much information. As I can on the upcoming opponent, start preparing uh, what I call what we call in play-by-play spotter charts. In my case, I use a large poster board, and it, it's laid out so that the depth chart of the Patriots offense and the opposing team's defense are on one side, and you flip it over, and it's the Patriots defense and the opposing team's offense. And the positions are—you uh, know—it's a grid of positions with boxes that have all the players' vital information: wow. height, weight, you know, mm-hmm. age where they came from, how they were acquired, and a lot of nuggets of information that hopefully is relevant to that broadcast that's there if I need it. And the process of collecting all that begins on Monday. Again, as I said, online with press releases that all the teams issue, each team puts out a really thick packet of notes and statistics, media guides Online, you know how many websites there are about yeah. with the, with regards to the NFL. It's 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 really one of the challenges. There's so much information; it's easy to get overwhelmed and not know what's really appropriate. Uh, but all that start that you know that starts really on Sunday night and in earnest on Monday. I go down to Gillette Stadium during a typical season for the med- media availabilities, forty five minutes of open locker room, and try to talk to some players. Hop on conference calls with Belichick and the coordinators early in the week. Go to the coaches' press conferences uh, later in the week. Things are going to be different this year because of COVID and the protocols and the restrictions. But you know, all the all the all the while you're doing all this in the build-up to Sunday while watching video to supplement it. I try to watch the television broadcast of uh the last game or two of the upcoming opponent just to get a feel for you know what we're gonna see, get to know that that team a little bit better, and then Refresh all that notes, all those notes, and all that information I've accumulated just before the broadcast. Go into the booth on Sunday and sit down and really bear down during warmups. Try to identify players while they're warming up at their positions, and and, and associate different characteristics with you know, with with the way they you know the way they run, their hair, uh, oh. do they yeah. wear a towel on the belt? Red gloves, white gloves, red shoes, black shoes. Julian Edelman wore red gloves. Danny Amendola wore white. James White wears dark shoes. Sonny Michelle wears red shoes, wow. uh, typically. So, you know Things like that nature that can distinguish one player from another so that you don't have to look down on your chart while you're calling the play-by-play and not keep up with the flow of the play just to try to uh, make those players more easily and readily uh, identifiable for me as the play-by-play guy.
1: How much is somebody in your ear in the course of a broadcast? Hey, go to break. Hey, you're coming back from break. Hey, this the, the tackle was made by fifty-eight. How how I mean, how much are you dealing with there while still delivering the broadcast that we hear? Yeah, in
0: television you get that certainly it's constant throughout okay. because the drag the producer is always in the headset. Of, of the broadcasters and the director will sometimes be in your headset. In our case in radio, it's not as often. Now with the Patriots and our and our, our booth setup, we don't have a, a designated spotter per se. You know, A lot of teams will have a spotter who stands behind the play-by-play mat. In In network cases, sometimes they have two. And that spotter will try to help identify who makes the tackle, who's in the back, who's back there to return the kick or the punt. And they do that by pointing to the player's number on your chart. In our case, Mark Capello, who's our producer, and if you've seen pictures of the home r- radio booth, Mark sits in the front row between Zoe and me. And Mark helps Spot while he's producing the broadcast. So I have his voice in my headset, you know, saying, uh, Hightower. Although yeah. you're saying that, you know, maybe saying Bentley, you yeah. know, on a tackle uh, or, uh, you know, was time to go to break, 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 break. You know, that, that's <laughs> Mark, has a, Mark has a very distinct way. It's very good. It, it, uh, he's in, in our, in our station circles, Mark is well, well, well known uh, for, you know, for, for his, uh, his, his uh, persona. Uh, when it comes to a, a couple of different things, one of them being, you know, his role as a producer and a traffic cop. And, and so when he tells me to break and he hands me the card on what to read, then I better do it because I'm going to continue to hear from him uh, as long as I'm talking. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're, you know, I'm, I'm talking and not saying what I should be saying, you know, whether it's a commercial drop in or, you know, you're listening to the Patriots Radio Network.
1: Do you know what the process is like for you this year? I had Henry McKenna from Patriots Wire on um, in the last episode, and he's not going to be going to the games, and that was his choice to do that. Do you know what your process is going to be like? Are you going to be at Gillette Stadium? Are you going to call from home like we've seen baseball doing sometimes? Are you going to go on the road? Do you know what the process is yet?
0: You know, at this point, I don't. I'm certainly starting to develop some ideas. I'm preparing myself to call games from either Boston – or Foxborough when the Patriots yeah. are on the road. You know, our, our station has the good fortune of being the flagship for f- three of the the other four teams in the marketplace that play in major leagues, if you include the Revs and, and MLS. Uh, we have uh, the, the Celtics. We yeah. have the Bruins at 985, the Sports Hub. And, and it's been interesting because when the Revs were playing in Orlando, Brad Feldman and Charlie Davies were calling the play-by-play from a studio at Gillette Stadium. When Sean Grandy and Cedric Maxwell are calling the Celtics, they're doing it from the Celtics locker room with monitors and a makeshift studio at the garden. And when Judd Surratt and Bob Beers were calling the Bruins, at least the last couple of games, I believe they were in a makeshift studio at the station itself. They they rearranged uh, some of the furniture, so to speak, and and gave them some space with which to work. I know baseball announcers, uh, friends of mine in, in the baseball business, are calling all of their games from their home booths. Yeah, whether their team is home or away, they're going to the home ballpark every night for the games, and that may be a possibility for us. Maybe we broadcast only from Gillette. Perhaps we travel. Typically, we travel with the team on the charter. I would have to imagine that this year the NFL is going to try to reduce the traveling party as much as possible. So I'm preparing myself for all the possibilities. And you know, frankly, personally, I, I think you know at this time and given the state of things. You know, I'd, I'd much rather call games from a remote site, Foxborough or Boston, and be with my family as opposed to if I had to travel commercially yeah. from here to Seattle, for example, to call the week two game. And I think that's typically the thinking of people around the league as I've talked to some of my colleagues.
1: Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots. You hear him on the Patriots radio network. He is one of the best. Bob, I appreciate your time as always. And uh, I look forward to hearing you for uh, hopefully a full slate of Patriots action this year. Stay safe and, uh, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you.
0: Brady, I really appreciate it. It's good to talk to you once again. It's good to see you yes. uh, for the first <laughs> time as we talk. And I look forward to doing it again. Take care and, and be well.
1: Thank you, Bob. Appreciate, appreciate it. You. There he goes. That is Bob Sosie of the Patriots Radio Network here on the Believe in Patriots podcast. Um, again, I've never started, and again, never in quotes. You know, four episodes in, this would be an episode five. I've never started the podcast with a, um, with an interview. Um, but Bob Sosie is certainly gracious with his time. Appreciate having him. He calls a great game. I love talking with him, and uh, and appreciate everybody who listens to Bob and then also uh, Bob for coming on. So remember, Believe in Patriots podcast, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also watch on YouTube. Um, all the episodes are on YouTube as well. Some of them will have more video components than the other. This one will be full video. Uh, obviously, Henry McKenna, the last one we had on. I'm excited for what's coming next. You know, As I alluded to with Bob at the beginning, I was recently laid off from my radio job. So this is what I'm doing now. Um, right now, full-time in the interim until something else pops. and. I'm excited about taking this podcast to the next level and bringing you big names like Bob Sose. Next week, we're going to have Pro Football Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce on. He's going to come on on Thursday. I had originally tweeted out that it was going to be Tuesday, but it's going to be Thursday. And Tuesday, we're going to have on Miguel, who runs the famous At Pat's Cap Twitter account. And he's got all the answers on the Patriots' money. He's a great follow, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with him on Tuesday's show. So a lot of fun is coming. This is going to be, hopefully, the place where you get your uh, your premium Patriots' knowledge. Um, to Bob's point, it's going to be a season unlike anything that we have ever seen before. I, and I'm excited for it. There are certainly people that aren't. I want it to be done safely. That's first and foremost. I know some people have opted out. Obviously, the Patriots have been impacted a lot by players who have opted out. I don't know what this league is going to look like this year. I don't. I, I think it's going to. There's going to be impacts week to week. There's going to be impacts month to month, and and through the season as a whole. The Patriots may be the beneficiary of a of a of a team who loses a player that's important to them over a positive test or even a false positive test, and it could go the other way too, where their Patriots are impacted negatively in that way. Also, you just don't know. I want everybody to be safe, but I'm excited to see football. I'm excited to see Patriots football. This is a team that a lot of people thought that they were on their way to being boring. I don't think that maybe not being as good is boring. I think that there's value or there's fun in the unknown. For the last 15 years, it's been, hey, win the Super Bowl or it's a failure. That's not the case this year, at least to me. You, you take out Tom Brady, you take out eight other players, you know, at, at least as of when I'm recording this, eight players who have opted out of the season. You take out a large portion of the defense who you lost to opt-outs and free agency as a whole. It, it's hard to sit here and say, win the Super Bowl. A couple of weeks ago I did an episode where I said I think they can be a player for the division title. I think they're a player now for a playoff spot. They're not as good as Buffalo. They're not as talented as Buffalo. They are able to compete for a playoff spot, but that defense has just been decimated through losses in free agency and through losses um, to, to opt-outs. And, and you don't know what it's going to look like. I do know that I'm excited, though, and Cam Newton is in Foxborough and Bill Belichick, predictably, not given any, anything um, concrete about Cam. He wouldn't say anything big about Cam. Cam hasn't hadn't even been able to talk yet as of the time that we're recording this um you knew this was going to be the case through all of the glitz through all of the glamour through all the instagram videos you knew that once we got to training camp there would be a business workman like mentality to everybody here belichick wasn't going to go and hug cam and wear a funny hat he cam wasn't going to come on and say i'm the greatest they're here to work when the season starts you might, you'll see the different cam and you'll see the cam. I think that we want to see where as long as they're playing well, cam is cam, but you were not going to see that right now. So this doesn't surprise me at all. As you go tr- as you get into training camp, things to watch for, man. Sony Michelle. Um, he started, started camp on the pup list. Certainly no doubt that he's going to play not only this season, but play a lot this season and be ready for week one, but, This is a make-or-break year for Sonny Michel, and they won the Super Bowl his rookie year, and he was a big part of it. So I don't think that Sonny Michel is a bust, and I would never say he's a bust. They drafted him. He carried him through the playoffs in his first year. He was a major part of him down the stretch, and he helped carry Tom Brady to his sixth title. You'll be forever grateful for that and, and happy to have had Sonny Michel. He has justified his draft selection as far as I can tell. But it's still a make-or-break year for him in terms of finances and his role on this team. Injured his first year, injured off-seasons, another surgery this year, injury in college. He doesn't catch passes. He didn't have a big burst last year. There are questions, a lot of questions about Sony Michel. They brought in Rex Burkhead. They brought back Rex Burkhead. Why? He could have been a cap casualty. They brought him back. Do they not trust Sony Michel? They got J.J. Taylor, the undrafted running back out of Arizona, who now might make the team because of all these opt-outs. Why do you not trust Sony Michelle? They drafted Damian Harris in the in the third round a year ago. Why, when you drafted a running back the first uh, in the first round a year ago, are you drafting more running backs? I don't know that they trust Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle needs to come out and have a good year and alleviate some of the pressure that I think is there on Cam Newton and be able to help this team move forward and he's in year three. They've got him for five years if they want him, but they could only just take they could not exercise the option and take him for four years. In which case he's got to start to establish some value around the league. They're gonna need him this year. And he's got to be ready to carry a significant load. On JJ Taylor, by the way, out of Arizona, he may be the undrafted guy I'm most excited to watch. Um go watch his highlights on YouTube. J.J. Taylor, Arizona. He's a little guy, bowling ball. I think he's five foot six, if I'm remembering correctly. Little guy, bowling ball mentality. Good speed, good elusiveness, good power. Returns punts, can catch out of the backfield. I want him to return punts if he makes the team. I'm I'm done with Julian Edelman returning punts. I don't need him getting hurt. This team does not have enough depth offensively to absorb an injury to Julian Edelman. Mohamed Sanu, he's off the pup list. I actually feel okay about the Patriots' offense, as long as everyone is healthy, and no one in the NFL is always healthy. So it's going to be a moot point. But if you have their staple of running backs, and if you have Michelle, and if you have Burkhead, and if you have Harris, and then there's Taylor, and then there's Edelman, and then there's Sanu, and then there's Nikhil Harry, I, I feel okay, even though they lost uh, Marquise Lee, and that's a loss. Trust me. Um, you know, just in terms of more depth, I, I still feel okay about where the Patriots are at offensively, and I think Cam is going to need to, but more importantly, I think he can elevate around him. As I record this, Patriots have $35 million in cap space all of a sudden. They had no money at all forever, and now they have $35 million in cap space. What should they do with that money? Look, they have the money to take on a contract that gets cut. They have money to take on a contract from a trade. I think they should absolutely do that. They should not spend all $35 million because of impacts that it has next year and a lower salary cap. Miguel at Pat's cap is the guy to follow for all your Patriots questions. He's going to join us on our next podcast on Tuesday. So thank you to Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, for stopping on in. Remember, the best way to help me out, the best way to help us grow, subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and right here on YouTube. Believe in Pat's podcast. I'll see you next week. I'm Brady Farkas.